got right up on the, the window and he happened to catch a wisp of smoke coming out of the, the corner of the window frame. And it was pissing out of the, the corner under pressure. Yeah. So he mm-hmm. opens up a very disciplined, you know, softball sized inspection hole. Flame instantly appears in the, the inspection hole. So I get on the radio, you know, engine one to command chief. We got fire in the walls. We need to line up the two. Now all of a sudden that little flame that just appeared in the, in the, the hole now starts blow torching out. So let's say I get back on the radio and I call for that line with a little bit more vigor this time. <laughs> <laughs> now this, the, that, that thermal balance is starting to drop down to my shoulders and I go everybody out of the room. So my driver's anchored at the door and I tell him, all right, bro, I'm the last one out, you know, close the door behind us. And I hear, um, uh, bro, there's no door. You gotta be shitting me. And now that now the smoke is, is like halfway to the floor at this right. point. And as I'm scanning the room, I caught the, um, the closet door and I said, bro, I'm like, get over here. I'm like, let's, we need to get the door off its hinges. We pop the door off with the Halligan bar. And now of course it's a closet door. So now it's not ideal, but it's what we have. I'm literally, I'm literally like just hunkered down, holding the door and watching the thermal balance just continue to drop down. And again, my, the senior man being so heads up, he flew down the stairs, intercepted the line from the the other engine company, passed it up the stairs because he knew the last thing we needed was more bodies up there. He hops on the, on the nozzle. I get behind him. We boogie in and it was like that as time goes on in, in fi- you know, fire duty dwindles for, for, for most of us, we need to rely on this, the storytelling. And when I can't impress it upon guys enough that on our job, when, when there's a fire, you better be picking the brains of those guys that were there to, to yeah. figure out, you know, what they had for conditions, what they did, you know, what worked, what didn't work. If there was anything unusual that happened because you're, you're, you're getting that, that third, that, that secondhand experience. Uh, All right, we good? We ready? Everybody's happy? All right, awesome. Hey everybody, Jeremy with National Fire Radio in the studio tonight with Rob and Tucker, and of course, a good friend of ours, uh, Lieutenant. Nick Papa out of New Britain, Connecticut. Nick, thanks for joining us tonight, brother. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Pull that here. mic right up to your face because Sebi gets crazy about the uh, the volume and so on. So, but anyway, I mean, you know, this has been a long time coming. It has been almost a year. It very much so because we met um, New England Fools. You spoke last year at the New England Fools Conference, which is next week, a year from next week, so a year ago. And um, and I want to dive right into. It. We'll get your story, but I want to dive in why. Um, why we latched on and, and we came up to you afterwards to, after hearing your uh, lecture and your training uh, that you did was you are a man that talks about ventilation. Nobody talks about ventilation. <laughs> the pendulum has swung hard. hard. <laughs> I love it. I, yeah. I absolutely love it, man. You know, in, in, a, in a world of the fire service today where we are always talking about how great it is to be a truck man. Right, everything's truck. Nobody ever talks about the engine. Finally, a guy like Brian Butler comes along, starts talking about like urban engine company stuff, mm-hmm. right? And the and the OGs of engine company, but like every single piece of content on social media nowadays is truck company driven, right? But ventilation is a massive part of of truck company operations, but it's not talked about, right? We talk, I mean, VES, la- ground ladders, aerial placement, uh, search, right? Mm-hmm. All these, all these things. But we take for granted that everybody knows how to open up a building and why we open up buildings and when we open up buildings, right? Absolutely. 
I, I, we sat through your lecture at New England Fools Conference. Um, Rusty up there throws a great conference, and sure does. I was, I, I really sat back and I'm like, this is fantastic because there was a lot of great nuggets of truth in there that people don't really talk about. Rob, you were there, man. No, it was awesome. I like the. It wasn't just like talking about ventilation. It was you going over like real life experiences that you had in New Britain. Or like there was a couple of videos. Actually, it was a really cool moment of that uh, one video from FDNY. Oh, yeah. yeah. When the one guy's like that. It was his uncle or his, it was his dad. dad, right? His dad. It was his dad who's since passed. It was uh, uh, the gentleman from, from up in Maine. I'm, I'm, yep. I'm terrible with names the first time. Yep, you know, yep, so. yep, 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 yep. But it was, it. it was one of those... The, uh, it's a video from the early '90s from 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 Queens, mm-hmm. and it was uh, you know 155 truck in Jamaica, and it's they're they're working a private dwelling job, and you see the two, two the two guys that are operating on on the porch and waiting to take the glass, and you hear the radio transmissions back and forth between great you know the the engine and the ladder, and then you know the window gets taken, you see the fire light up a little bit, and then seconds later the the line starts working, the fire's out. I mean, it's a beautiful textbook yep. you know coordinated operation, and when the video's going. All of a sudden, you start to hear some some kibitzing in the back of the room. And I was like, yeah, guys, what's going on? And the guy stands up and goes, that's my old man. And I go, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, like, come, yeah, on, yeah, yeah. come on. Like, come on. Yeah. So I. But like, not I just real quick, like shoot. the pride from him. Like he was oh, just he so. Oh, he was beaming. Like, was yeah, beaming. like just like yeah. so happy to see oh, his dad. Fucking goosebumps. And that's I mean, like, yeah, it was yeah. like, it was awesome. Yeah. But I, but I, the best part about that was then, Nick, you. As, as a humbled gentleman as you are, you allowed him to talk about it. I said, talk about his fun. Like, yeah. it was an awesome experience to be in the crowd and to just sit back and basically put your class on hold for like 10 mm-hmm. minutes and just had a conversation. That was cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. So I make a habit in my classes to, to make sure that there's full disclosure in the beginning, that everybody knows that it's an open forum, right. um, that there's just as much learning on my part as there is on theirs, yep. you know, because, you know, I don't like to use the term teaching. I like to, to use more of the term. I, I like to say we're sharing information. Yep. Right. Okay. It's a, we're, we're all here together. Everybody's bringing something to the table and we're having a conversation, right. you know, just like what, what you like to call this here is yeah, we're having yeah, yeah. a conversation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. So what I, what I always do in those instances, if somebody's going on a tangent and is kind of t- taking themselves out of their comfort zone and, and is speaking in front of the, the class, I'll sit down. I, I make it a point to sit down with everybody else in the in, So in they're the listening to so them. So that they know yeah. that they have the floor. Um, and that's, I make that a point of doing that because again, it level kind of levels the playing field because we, you know, we tend to put the instructors up on a pedestal, at least in the class itself. And I want them to know that I'm just a fireman like you. It's this right. what this is all about. We're we're here to to share with each other and to to you know make ourselves better. So it was really incredible to see to to hear the story to see him literally beaming with yeah. pride over his yeah. old man. And he had a pretty storied career too. And after the class was over, we got to have a sidebar. And he I was dropped on that. Yeah. He, was, so he showed me he had yeah. a a brass bracelet on. And it was one of those um, those metal clasp bracelets that uh, mm-hmm. don't connect all the way, and that you know, typically they, the guys have for memorial, memorial, memorial band. bands. Yeah, right. I've yeah. seen a lot yep. of nine eleven right. ones out yep. there. POW type stuff. Yes, sure. but his was made out of brass. So I'm looking at it, and it had an inscription on it, and he's showing it to me, and it's got two Maltese crosses, and it's got a seven and a one five five, and then it's got his dad's name on it. And he said, "You see this right here?" And he goes, "This brass that this bracelet's made out of is from 
the brass fire pole out of Ladder 7's quarters in the Lower East Side that my dad started out on. Wow. So apparently when they were they were re- either redoing or they were relocating the firehouse, they, the, they were taking the poles down. And one of the guys that worked with his dad called him up and said, hey, we're making these bracelets out of the uh, the old pole. You know, would you like to have a piece to have made up for your dad? That's awesome. And it was incredible. So this story gets even deeper too. So when his dad was on Seven Truck back in the day, uh, if anybody's not familiar with the Wonder Drugstore fire, the 23rd Street fire, engine uh, Ladder Seven was one of the companies that got decimated right. during the collapse. Right. And his dad was one, it was him and one other member of the six-man crew that drove home on the ladder truck that, that night after the fire. Wow. The four, four of the brothers on their crew didn't come home that yeah. night. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, <sighs> hair standing I, up on I my arms it, talking about it. it right now. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's just the incredible story to, I mean, that was such a monumental moment in well, fire service and, uh, fire service history oh that yeah, yeah abs- i mean that i yes. mean that fire is yes. why we have Vinny done correct um because if you if, if anybody precursor if anybody mm-hmm. watched the documentary um a good job yep. that steve buscemi did yep basically done kind of says that that was basically my way of dealing with the post-traumatic stress exactly mm-hmm. that he was emphatically writing i mean he'd be up all hours of the night just writing article after article after article and it didn't dawn on until decades later that he goes, wow, that was, Managing that was me, me dealing with the stress right. of that incident and having that survivor's guilt. Because, again, for anybody that doesn't know the story, uh, Don was a lieutenant on 33 engine, I believe. And when they, they arrived on the extra, I think on the extra alarm, and it was engine 18 had got there just before them and reported to the chief literally seconds before Don did. And they got the assignment to, to, go. to go in right. and they got sent around back. Yep. And that was that, that fateful assignment that they went down when the floor collapsed because they were over the top of the basement fire and because of the terrazzo floor. Terrazzo floor. That's what I was going to say. That's what, that's they, what didn't, it was. they didn't yeah. feel the heat right. coming up from yep. underneath. Yep. So it was just amazing because, um, you know, Dunn, Chief Dunn's been a like idol of mine. Because, well, he- I mean, I've always been a voracious reader and, yeah. you know, when back when there was only firehouse and fire right. engineering magazine to read yeah. the internet was in its in, in its infancy and there there was no in, like internet content for the fire service it was magazines yep so i'd be you know the you know a teenager in the day room of, of the firehouse we talk about it a long time digging, yeah. digging through the boxes of old magazines right. yep. to read dunn's articles and that was you know, he, he was one of the inspirations for me to start writing. And because I, you know, I, cool. I, I read his stuff and that I was is like, cool. man, I would love to have this kind of an impact and be able to give back to the fire service. It, you know, and you look at him and, you know, he is one of the most iconic fire service educators. Without a doubt. I know, in, in, in modern time, hands down. I agree. I agree. What I, what I found um, so special about that moment though, is like, I remember taking instructor one and my fire service instructor, at the time, uh, McClellan from PG County, he was like, hey, like, be careful with what you show because one day you may have somebody in your class who goes, excuse me, that's my video. And like, you're gonna have to be prepared to deal with that. Yep. But like for this, like I said, that, that moment in that class for this guy to be like, that's my dad. But, uh, and you to like sit down and give him the floor and kind of like just put put everything into perspective. And what was, what was awesome about it was I was like, oh, I'm on the edge of my seat here. Yeah. But like looking around the room, there was not a single person in that classroom Mm-mm. who was like, ah, oh, this guy's talking like what, like even the other instructors were like, this is awesome. But, but that's, that's 
that just that just adds to who you are, right? I mean, yeah. we're we're ten minutes in, five minutes in, and I know more about you in the last ten minutes than I've known this. But no, but I mean that. Like, yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's incredible how passionate you are about this, and the fact that you're willing to have that open forum in your classes. I mean, you bring a lot of knowledge to the table, um, and we're going to talk about a bunch of different things that you're doing, your classes, and so on. But you bring a lot to the table, and you have a lot to talk about and a lot to educate through experience. And then to be able to be humble enough to sit down in your own class because somebody else has something to say and you're willing to share that spotlight on the floor, that's what the fire service is all about. That's that's yeah. what this is. That's what that's what we're supposed to be doing. And to have that back and forth, I have to think that that in your career is going to be one of your highlights of teaching. I can almost guarantee it. You know, to have that interaction with yeah. that yeah. you had. And, and to be there was cool to watch it all go down. I mean, yeah. it was just, it was a super cool moment. Um, and, and I think everybody got... Um, Everybody got a lot out of it. And it not just the lesson of who he was and, and the, the storytelling behind it, but also the fact that we can all sit around and, and, and you know, share stories and, and listen to it for the commonality of the better good for all of us. I mean, I just, I love that. But, you know, to, if anybody's read Sebastian uh, Younger's book, Tribe, you know, it's so important for people within the fire service to read that book because it's all about um the, fr- the the fraternity what and what is it which it's, one it's called sebastian younger okay uh, j-u-n-g-e-r it's a short read but it's an excellent excellent read it's called tribe it's called tribe and it's all it, what it's about is just the the, the tribal concept of mm-hmm. society right and how that influences culture and how as time has progressed on we've gotten further and further away from that tribal mentality and that, that, that sense of community. Yep. I agree. And as technology has progressed, we've become more and more introverted. Yeah. Um, we've, we've, we're not communicating with each other anymore, you know, face to face. It's right. all done through electronics, sure. which for me is, and there's probably a lot of people listening that have no clue who I am because I have a very small so, social media footprint. And I, so what I, I like to do things old school. Like a lot of people don't like it, but I tend to call people. Yep. I like to talk on the phone versus, the versus text. I do. Yep. So I, I mean, I had that same conversation with a friend today and you know how we have the possibility of actually, you know, phoning somebody and looking at them, mm-hmm. you know, but nobody uses that technology, but everybody's texting one another, but you don't hear the inflections unless you're talking to them. Right. Right. I, I, I agree. I agree with all of it. And I, I think, um, you know, but it, it truly is um, that double edged sword because I think there is value in today, too, though, Absolutely. you know, in means of communication and Absolutely. so on. But but I agree with you 100 percent. In the fire service, the one thing we can't do is become introverted. The one thing we can't do no. is get away from community. I mean, we have to. That's what it's all about. It's all about yeah. community. Um, and when we start to veer away from that, when society starts to be able to grab hold of the firehouse, the kitchen table, the front bumper, the responding to a job of being able to communicate with each other because we've lost track of that, we're in trouble. 100%. So the, the nice part about that book is it just reinforces why it's so important to have that sense of community, to have that sense of belonging. Yeah. And it goes into, you know, why there's such rampant PTSD now and but why other countries that where they're their countries are engaged in continuous combat that their soldiers aren't coming home and dealing with the same levels of PTSD that our soldiers are. And it's not so much what they saw, it's what they're coming home to. And it's the sense that when they come home here, there's such a huge disconnect between 
what our soldiers are doing and sacrificing overseas and there's they, they just it doesn't resonate with yeah. with with the vast majority of the population here yeah. so they they're not truly appreciating what you'll get the you know hey thanks for your service but there there isn't that true appreciation or or even understanding of what right. they went through right whether they saw sustained combat or not and he talks about how it, uh, the Israeli military, so ma- so many of, of the people in their in their country go through the military because a lot of countries. Well, it's a rite of passage, almost, right? right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So a lot of countries in Europe, choice. when you become yeah. of age, you have to do a stint in the military. Correct. Right. So over there, almost everybody has either served in the military, or for them, the war is in their back in their backyard. Yeah. So they understand they what war means and in what in what's the costs are so they're able to to truly support and empathize for for their soldiers and what they're what they're sacrificing in their service and it it just really resonated with me and why that that's so important for us whether you're in the service whether you're in the 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 fire department or just in our everyday lives and why it's so important to maintain that that sense of community and, and even if it's just within our individual family units. Uh, I love like connecting. I love connecting the commonality of every day to the firehouse and the, the disconnect of, you know, we all, we all complain about society these days and how out of touch we are and lack of discipline and lack of respect and uh, you know, uh, all of that. Right. But the same things are happening in the firehouse. Right. Yeah. And I, and I draw these parallels because I listen, there's, I don't, I don't digest a lot of other people's content, but there's one or two podcasts that I listened to that were instrumental in me starting this. And, and they, they kind of gave me the permission to try something and, and to dive into something like, you know, National Fire Radio. And, and I, I digest the, um, their content all the time. And it's funny to capture the disconnect. And I do these uh, Instagram talks every once in a while on a Sunday night. I'll do like a throw up a one-minute thing, like just a, not inspirational, but just a, a outright like candid one minute discussion about like something that's in the firehouse. We got to change it. We got to do better, get off the sideline, get in the game, that type of shit. And there's so much validity to the firehouse, to today's society and trying to, there's so much commonality between the two that the problem is though, is the firehouse was always separate from the everyday outside. Yep. And now more than ever, it's the same, right? Where we used to go to the firehouse and it used to, we turned everything off. We went to the firehouse, we had the firehouse. Nothing else mattered outside of the firehouse. And I think that had a lot to do with the sense of community. We're there for the betterment. We're there for each other. We're there for the customers we serve. Oh, it's also the brotherhood and the family. It's yeah, a, all of it. The whole all family. It, right? It's the, the community, firehouse. right? But then now, now it's all about me. Right. Now it's what do I get out of this? Yeah. Why you you know I you know what I did today I did all this what what are you guys going to do for me type of thing and but right. that but that's yeah. becoming more and more the norm, unfortunately. But that's I want to check that book out, man. That that sounds fantastic. It's a great it's a great read. And cool. It, How old is that book? It's within the last couple of years. Oh, okay. It's not as old yeah. as you. <laughs> Definitely There's not. not much that is. So I'm going to go on a quick tangent. Do it. Let's I'm going to go on a quick tangent here. So is. There's so much we can uh, we can control within our own sphere of influence. Whether you're the senior firefighter, whether you're a company officer, or maybe you're even neither of those. There's so many little things that you can do that you can kind of steer that that ship, and it could even be really passively too. 
So one of the things that, that I did in, in my company, we have, I'm so blessed that the, the, the house that I'm assigned to, it's a, it's a double house. I'm downtown. It's the engine and truck with the shift commander and we've got great guys. They're all, you know, hard hitters. They, they all want to be there. They're great firemen. We've got a really good mix of, of time on the job. And, but one of the things that I did was every Sunday that we're on shift, we do a brunch Love in the morning. It. That's perfect. And I, so I did crepes one, one day. And for anybody that's made crepes, it's a, it's a long process. Time consuming. It's very yeah. time consuming. Because, you know, you can only do one at a time yep. because it's quick. And then, I, you know, I, I, there's, there's a whole, like all the fruit and there's just a lot. Oh, you got to get like, the pan to the right temperature and it's right. got to stay at the right time. I get it. So here's the deal. Because there's so much prep work, guess what I need to pull this off? It's a lot of guys. I need a lot of guys. Yeah. So guess where everybody is? Awesome. For the first like two hours in the morning on Sunday, we're in the kitchen, busting balls, having a blast. Usually there's mute, there's music going or you know, something's going on and it's just the banter back and forth. And the, and I always try to make complicated meals like that because guess what? The more complicated the meal is, the more help I need, the more guys that are in the kitchen and the more, you know, the, the more it's putting the team together. Exactly. And again, it's that kind of, so if you, if you're not in a position of, of leadership, if you will, or authority, and you don't think you can control or steer that, that ship to where you want it to go, it's all it takes is a little things like that, where you're kind of like flanking everybody. And it's like, you're, you're drawing them in, in a way that's so kind of behind the scenes or so. Or oh, I love it, it. it. I, I love it because I, I'm, I do coffee. So if we have a run before 9am in the morning. We're going to Dunkin' Donuts and the companies will go and my engine will go. And next thing you know, the truck from across town will show up. And then instead of just going back to the firehouses and breaking down, now we sit outside on the patio at Dunkin' Donuts. Not only does the public see us, yeah. and you engage kids coming yep, through and so good. on, but we get to sit around and you got, what, eight guys or 10 guys or six guys sitting around telling some stories and sharing a cup of coffee for an extra half hour instead of just racing out of there. And to me, those those are those important moments. I love that. I think that that bolsters um, the sense of community, and that's how we teach the younger kids that there's more to it than just you know going to do the job and then go home. It so. gives people the opportunity to be firemen too, because that's like each one of us had an opportunity where we encountered that engine at Dunkin' Donuts, hanging out, yeah. interacting with the kids. Yeah, and I just there's times where I see people shy away from the public, and I'm like. You're missing out. Like you're missing. Yeah, you need to engage of this job. Yeah. So Nick, let's let's do this, man. We've been yeah. this has been fantastic already. But I want to <laughs> hop in. Let's talk about yeah. who you are. Like nobody even knows. Like not, not <laughs> that nobody knows. I mean, what no, I mean I is we didn't even do an introduction. A spade of, a spade. That's <laughs> <laughs> not what I'm saying yeah. at all, brother. Are you kidding yeah. me? Listen, four. This is gonna be your fourth year at FDIC yes. teaching. I mean, it's not like you're not on the national stage. So <laughs> let's not play those games, right? But but ultimately, like. Nick, give me the rundown, man. I know. Uh, well, go ahead. Tell us who we who you are. Yeah, how did you get to FDIC? Yeah. Who, who invited you, you in? <laughs> so I, we'll start from the beginning, and I'll, yeah. I'll get to. Talk so about, I was born. I was born. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a second generation firefighter. Uh, my dad was a volunteer. He grew up in Hartford, uh, and then when he met and married my mom, they moved to the next town over in Weathersfield. He did about 10 years volunteering there, and then they settled in the town I grew up in, in Newington, which is sandwiched in between the city I work in, New Britain, and Hartford. 
Um, so he volunteered there for 20, 25 years. Yeah. And so basically from when I, my, my first moments, all, your memories. all yeah. of my memories yeah. have been centered around the fire sure. department. And thankfully that during the time when I was growing up, the, the Newington fire department was, was very vibrant, had a great culture and I got to spend a lot of time. I mean, any chance I got to get out of the house and tag along with the old man, I, I grabbed at it and I just was a sponge. I was into everything. I mean, I was hanging in the back at drill nights trying to pick things up and, you know, going to calls with him. And then when, as I got older and hit my teen years and um, then when it was, I, I got to join the fire department as a cadet at 16 and then started to get to ride the fire truck. That was a great experience. And you know, hit a lot of hydrants and, you know, got to do some, some overhaul and even, you know, snuck, snuck my, it, snuck my way in a few, right. a few times here and there, you know, now, but, uh, in the was, cadets, was that through the, through the fire department itself? Yeah. It wasn't is, through like a cop a scout. scout or, no, that, no, that it was, was, it was, you were a full fledged member of the fire okay. department. Uh, you just weren't in, you weren't interior. So, yeah. um, Connecticut, it's like it's, what we have as juniors. Yeah. So yeah, yeah Connecticut's, you know, st you know, strict certification system. So, I mean, um, you're, you're not interior unless you're, you're firefighter one. So I was, but I was still able to ride the trucks to, to emergency calls. So, you know, I, I was, I was kind of like the thing. dedicated hydrant guy yeah, and yeah. Um, then would come in for overhaul after. Cause I mean, this was before we knew what we know today and, you know, it's when the fire, when, as soon as the fire was out, it was, you know, let, let Nikki come in yeah, and right. let him hook some Absolutely. ceilings. You know, there's still yeah. be smoke hanging down and you know, snot's running down your face. And, <laughs> but it was, well, listen, I had a blast. that's all part of it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I got a great story before I forget about yeah, it. Dude. So the, I turned 16 years old and uh, my birthday's in the summertime. So it was a beautiful, you know, some, uh, some summer evening, you know, it's literally my birthday and I had managed to con the, the guy that was in charge of swearing people in to come down to the firehouse on my birthday, which was like some, it was a, so the one that my, my, my dad will probably laugh when he, when he hears this, but I, I'm the type of person that if, when I set my sights on something <laughs> and I, my, my mind's convinced, I'm going to, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Gonna like happen. Hell, come hell or high water. Right, right, right. So this guy lives a couple blocks from the firehouse and I, I, I get the old man to you know, calm to come down because my dad was the, the company captain at the mm -hmm. time. So I get him to come down. He swears me in right in the apparatus floor. No bullshit. Uh, within minutes, the, the bell hits for first through structure fire. So persistence um, pays off, everybody. Yes. That's what we're getting at here. Yeah. So I, I get to uh, so the, the engine. The engine, of course, fills out. And the ladder at the time was a, uh, I think it was a you know, eighty-seven open cab Suffin Tower ladder. Nice. So I get to hop in the back. And, yeah, right. And, uh, yeah. It I doesn't was, get any better than that. That's so. Right. I mean, just to, to set set the moment. I mean, it was one of those hot <laughs> hot summer nights. I mean, you're sitting back in those old leather seats. You could smell the leather, and I mean, you could as soon as we got a couple blocks away, you can smell the smell you could fire, smell the right? job, yep, and yep, you, yep. you know you're going to work. So my dad had actually gone there on his own and took command of the fire. So not only my first night getting sworn in as an actual you know member of the fire department, my dad was in charge of the fire. And so that was pretty, pretty wild. That and it was, uh, that's a great story. yeah. So it was a, you know, it was a split level house, you know, good, good bedroom job. Mm -hmm. And then I got to go in afterwards, you know, op open up with one, you know, one of the, the senior privates and it was blast. So that was, that was the, that was where it all began. And I did. And how know, many years ago, how many years ago is that? So that was back in 03. 
Okay, so 17 years ago, and you have a grin from ear to ear right now. Yeah. But I love that, man, because those are the memories that make us yeah. who we are, right? Yeah. Like, I remember, I could tell you, just like you, I could tell you all of it, all yeah. of it coming through, because yeah. I, I grew up in it, too. And I remember my first fire, and I remember being sworn in, and I remember, like, all of that, man. And but I, what we were doing at the beginning is we were asking people, and you, when you guys interviewed me, what was your first fire? That yeah, was, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, the, yeah. really the first question they asked. Yeah, yeah but I, I love it, though. And I'm sitting here 17 years later. You're sitting here with a smile from ear to ear. And yeah. I, I just know because that means it's left such an impression on you. Yeah. And you it still made got you it. who you are today. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so fast forward now. So where, where are we today? So, we yeah, so fast forward. So, you know, t- uh, two years later, you know, I, I become a full-fledged member of the fire department. and But I go off to college. I went to University of New Haven for their fire science program. Right. Yep. Um, but I, school was not my thing. Yeah, I was, I had my sights set on getting on the job. Yep. And while everybody was just enamored with college, I just wanted to get on the job. So <laughs> I started, I drove to Providence and took their test. I took New Britons and Hartfords and everywhere I could test, I got on the job, I was trying to get on the job. And then while I was going to school, I went through a combination fire one and two program right at New Haven Regional Fire School. Nice. So it was, it was great. I mean, I got to spend my weekends at, at in fire school and then every chance I got I was running home in which my parents hated because they're paying for room and board at University of New Haven and I'm running home to hang out at the firehouse. Yeah, I get it. Oh, you gotta to run, job, right, I mean. to run calls. So that was that was my thing. Mm. And luckily my uh, my number got called up very early on. I was I was just about to turn 20 years old when New Britain called me up and said, "Hey, uh, report to station 4." next Tuesday to pick up your, pick up your gear and you're going to the fire Academy. Wow. And I remember it was this old crusty Lieutenant. And he's like, he goes, Hey, uh, are you a volunteer? And I go, yeah. And he goes, you're not anymore. He goes, make sure <laughs> he goes, make, make sure that he goes, make sure you're done with that before you start. And I was like, okay, yes, sir. Yep. Done. So yep. that was, that was the end of the volunteer career. And, you know, I said, said my goodbyes to Newington turned in my stuff and yeah. that was it. Report, you know, I, I turned, Turned 20 years old a week later and then went off to the fire wow. academy as a baby. Wow. You know, I couldn't even drink in the fire academy. <laughs> so, yeah. Mom and dad okay with you uh, getting out of school? Uh, they, they knew they knew the deal. And okay. I mean, of course, my mom was... Because I know, went, I struggled with this. I mean, this is, this yeah. is one of my huge personal struggles that I talk about on this platform is I had the ability to get hired, but I was in college and felt indebted to stay. Mm-hmm. So I, I deferred the job, you know? Yeah. My so. mom, my mom, of course, was, was worried about it because, you know, the, my, you know, my whole family up to, you know, my sister and I, nobody had, had graduated college. You know, we were just very much a blue collar family and, um, it was super important for, for her, for us to go to college. Absolutely. You know, my sister had, uh, is a speech therapist. So, mm-hmm. you know, she went off to college, got her master's degree and, and all that jazz. So how, she, how did you, I, I just want to interrupt you real quick. How she, did you, how did you handle, um, and I don't want to say a disappointment because it doesn't sound like you disappointed your mother at all, but like, there's that pressure to be like, Hey, we want you to go to school. We want you, because I know a lot of, a lot of kids out there and I say kids like just as a general description, but they're like, they're in school, these opportunities come up and they feel like they, like Jeremy said, they have to defer. Like, did you have any kind of internal struggle with that? Knowing that there was uh, like, I don't know if pressure is the way to put it, but like you wanted to get, you know, like your mom had one thing, but you were like, right. You right. had a very clear path and you saw it and nobody else in your, maybe outside saw that path. So luckily with my dad understanding the dynamic and, you know, unfortunately uh, my dad had a couple, you know, raw deals of, you know, getting on the job and you know, he, 
uh, was in a class action lawsuit for for Hart, uh, for Hartford way back in the day, and um, he was he's a mechanic by trade. So when he was in the in the lawsuit, and you know he opened up his own shop, and the shop was doing well. I think my sister was, had had just been born at the time. They so they were starting to build their family. The business was taking off, and he was like, you know what? He goes, I don't I don't know what's going to happen with this lawsuit. Uh, you know, and we're spending a lot of money in legal fees. We're trying to, you know, the business well, is starting I get, to go. Listen, I get so it, he man. pulls out of the lawsuit and, get it. and then, you know, within, I don't know how much time it was, but it wasn't that far, far after everybody got hired off that lawsuit that uh. was in it. So that was kind of his first blow. And then, you know, he came out number one on some other tests and, you know, due to some, I'll call it political issues. Get, listen, um, you know, I, he didn't get the, get, he didn't get hired. So, yeah. Um, he understands how finicky the getting sure. on the job can sure. be and how, when your number gets called, you got to take it. Right. So the one thing with my, uh, with my mom, it was like, she was so apprehensive about it because she knows how easy it is once you leave school to You're not, not going go back. back. Right. So right. I, I made the promise to her that I would go back and, it, you know, a couple of years mm-hmm. later after getting on the job, I went back and finished my degree and then went on to get my master's degree. So um, she was very happy about that. I mean, she still talks about that not, all the time. Not bad for a guy that wasn't in the college, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, so well, you got yeah. fulfilled, right? So, you, yeah, so, yeah, so exactly. I found my niche. With, this is, right. So this is how I got into writing was, uh, so I found my niche with, with writing through, when I went back to school, nobody really had, uh, so, uh, University of New Haven, unfortunately, didn't have their online program off the ground yet. And there was no way with the way the overtime was, we were working the old 10s and 14 schedule. So I was, you know, three on three off. And I was crushing the overtime, so there was no way I was going to be able to make it work. And then, you know, University of New Haven was just too expensive for me at the time. And now, of course, they offer up, you know, here's a nice plug for incentive. UNH, but yeah. they offer an incentive. If you're on the job, they give a massive discount for, for, for people that are on the job. And they offer online programs. Is that for Connecticut residents? Or no, anybody? I think it's for, for I'm, I, I'm, don't quote me on this, okay. but I'm, I'm sure I, I think it might be inclusive to anybody on the job. Cool. Uh, that's a good plug for the school. Yeah. So, I mean, it, this, the program was tremendous. It is a great program. It is a tremendous program. And it's done nothing but grown yeah. since I left. Uh, there is some great faculty there. And I had a wonderful experience there. You know, I wish I could have finished, but, you know, my number got called and I wouldn't change anything for the, for the, for a second, I mean, while I always, I always joke, while my buddies were shotgunning beers up at UConn, I, I, was, I was crawling hallways, you know, yeah. you know, that was so that I, I couldn't be happier. You know, yep. I, I, all I wanted to do was just get on the job. And fortunately my number got called early and no, I got, it's fantastic. Yeah. I got pulled up in new Britain and that was it. So with, with the schooling though, when I went back uh, online, everything is, is self-study. It's all guided. So they basically tell you, okay, this is what you're responsible for reading. Here's what you need to contribute to the discussion board. So it's not just, you know, you reading and rote memorization and so you can regurgitate it for a right. test. It's all on your own. So not only do you have to read, but you have to comprehend because then you have to contribute to the discussion board and have a cogent, uh, you know, yeah. conversation yeah, with yeah. with your stu- with the other sure. students. And then all of your assignments, there's no tests. It's all papers. So it's all, you know, you have to take what you learn and constructively apply it in a paper. So that's when I realized that I had yeah, a knack for writing. For writing, yeah, absolutely. And it was it was funny to kind of dial back a little bit, but when I was at UNH, one of my um, my you know 100 level comp classes, we had I had this hard ass uh, comp teacher, and he was a, um, a a business writer, and people hated this dude. I mean, he was one of those guys that people dreaded getting. Yeah. I got along with the dude, um, and but he he pushed and he had unwavering standards. And if you didn't meet it, he was dinging you. I mean, there was no 
two ways about it. And this was a 100 level class that everybody had to take. So I, you know, wrote some papers and he, you know, he would write in there. He's like, you know, God, I would, I wish you would pick up a dictionary or, you know, I would, you know, I wish you would learn some grammar because you are, uh, you know, you have a thing for writing in our capstone paper. We had to meet with him, um, midway through the, the, um, the report. And I sat down with him and he's going through and he goes, he's reading my stuff, looks at me and he kind of like grimaces at me and he goes, what's your major? And I go fire science. And he had this look of disgust on his yeah, face. Right. Like, like, you should be a like, writer. He's like, you're like, almost it. like you're wasting yeah. your time. Yeah, like exactly. what? And he, he goes, listen, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you really should think about writing. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay, buddy. You know, so I, I go through the class. Did, I did really well. And time goes on. And, you know, I, I finished my degree online, go on to, you know, finish my advanced degree online. And I realized that I kind of dug writing. And so years later, when I get promoted, we get sent through, and this is kind of the genesis of how the program started. So when I got promoted to lieutenant, uh, my chief sent us to this uh, two-week officer development program. It was uh, the, the I-Leads I, I through the Connecticut Fire Chiefs Association. And they have a, a keynote guest speaker come in at the, the end of the two weeks. And our guest speaker was George Healy, deputy chief from the FDNY. Okay. For anybody that's not familiar with him, he was kind of like the head liaison and kind of ran operations for the Governor's Island test fires that they did with UL. Yes. And he came in and again, I've, I've always been into the job. I've tried to stay current on what's going on, but I w apparently managed to be 100% oblivious to what was going on with UL and all these tests that were happening on Governor's Island. So he is going through and he's talking about the ventilation experiments that they did. And while he's talking, I literally had that light bulb epiphany moment where my jaw nearly hit the table. And I started as he's talking, I'm going through my brain and cycling through these different fires that I've been at where, where things didn't go well. And it was either because things that I did or th things that I was on the receiving end yeah, of right. and started to put the pieces together and go, Oh, shit i go either i did this or you know this was this was done yep. yep and everybody needs to know about this i go right. how how did i go this long being into the job and not knowing it so i went back and uh i did a six-month detail as a as the safety officer when i first got promoted because on our job that's kind of like the low man on the totem's full spot so sure. if you're the last guy promoted that's kind of where you get stuck yeah. until a, a, a you know a company billet opens up and luckily mine was only six months <laughs> So I go back and I had some, I had some freedom that in between, you know, my, my daily duties and the, the projects that I was responsible for, I kind of had some freedom to develop curriculum and do some other things. So I went back and I started doing, diving into the research and reaching out to people, watching podca podcasts and, you know, webinars and started putting this all together. And, and I made a program for, for only our job. I had no intentions of, of it going anywhere else. Right. So I, I, reached out to another colleague in the state and said, Hey, can you peer review this? And you know, he's a, a, a instructor on the national scene. And so I'd emailed him and like, Hey, can you peer review this before I I'd release it to the department? So, you know, I don't look like a fool. My, for the first thing <laughs> yeah, right, I do yeah. as an officer, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I want to make sure <laughs> yeah. this is vetted. Right. So he comes, gets right back to me, which I didn't think was going to happen at all. And he said, this is great. You know, it looks good. If you keep refining this, I think you have something here. You might want to think about taking this and turning it into an article and submitting it to fire engineering. And if you really develop this program, I think it's got FDIC potential. Fantastic. Yeah. And at that point I, I like, we just had no 
concept of the national scene and sure. everything that was going on. So I called his bluff. So I, I wrote an, I went back, I wrote an article, I sent it to him and he said, this is great. He, you know, forwarded off to fire engineering and the article got published and I kept developing the program. I developed, I delivered it a few times locally. And when, when was that published? What was, do you that remember the published? It, it wound up being, uh, cause the way that the magazine works is once you get an article accepted and it passes through technical review, it kind of goes into a hopper. And basically it's not until that your article kind of jibes with whatever the what theme of the, the magazine yeah. is for that month that it gets published. So it could be, right. it could be two months. It could be a, a year plus. It just depends on when it matches up with what their content is. So it happened to be you right. Know a guy. So it happened to be when it finally was released was right before FDIC. I think it was in, in March of the year That's that I fabulous. wound up teaching. So I again called this dude's bluff and said, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to put in for FDIC. I wrote up the proposal. I delivered it a few times locally and it got picked up. And when I, when I got the email, I go, oh, you gotta be shitting me. Like, there's there's wow. no way, there's no way, you yeah. know? Cause at that time I'm 29 years old and I go, you gotta be freaking kidding me. I'm like, I'm gonna be teaching at FDIC. And I was like, I'm not even 30 years old yet. I mean, granted I had almost 10 years on the job at that time, sure. but still, I mean, it was, uh, I, I never thought it was gonna happen. I just figured I'm like, you know what? I'm like, let me at least put the effort and see what happens. How, and how humbling is it though that at 29 years old, I mean, even with the, the time you had on the job, you recognized like where you, like you you took back that milestone and you were like, or not took back, but you took took a step back from that milestone and, and recognized it. I think yeah. that like speaks to your character because I know a bunch of people would be like, yeah, I'm 29 and I'm at FDIC, yeah. dropping microphones left and right. And like, you know, so you like, know, I just think that's, you know what? I, go ahead. Nick. So at go that ahead. at that point, to go on that same thread was I kind of took that as I well I need to up the ante now. And my it, a lot of guys will talk about on the the fire engineering you know webinars and podcasts. They say that they call it the Super Bowl of of you know fire service and sure. uh, had, conferences. Had you been to FDIC I before not. that? So you didn't not. even know which ruffle which always wow. ruffles a few feathers because they're like, <laughs> yeah, oh, but it's that's just bullshit. You never even come yeah. out here. Right. Right. You know, yep. So, you know, of course, but so you're thrown into the lion's den. So I, I took it as that. All right. Uh, I'm going to the, the, the big show and I need to make sure that my program is dialed in. So oh, that way, it. these people yeah. that are wow. paying top yeah, dollar no to room. come out here yeah. are getting what they paid for. And that, you know, I'm who I say I, I am and there's 100 percent authenticity. So. That was it. I just doubled down and, and really just at, at that point that really spurred um, just my fascination and, and you know almost obsession with with developing this program and making it what it is because as you know you've made mention to there's such a void in ventilation tactics right now so. when it comes to uh, just content at, at the lec at the, at the lecture level the hands-on it's it's always it's always there but as far as lecturing at the conferences you don't see it yeah i went all. through the I, book today you're the only one i so I, I the last two years i google searched ventilation for F the fdic website and it's the only one that pops yeah. up because i'm i'm glad that uh engine company operations it's getting its its due attention but the pendulum has swung completely in the other direction that there is zero attention and ventilation and fire attack and engine company operations goes hand in hand. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I love about thing. your class though, is that like you started it out with this whole, um, like, you know, like 60 second blurb and, and how you don't like the word tactical. 
And I think like for me at having dealt in another industry and where tactical is all the rage, like it was great to sit there and, and just listen to, and can you just hit on that? Because I, I it really like for me, that's where I like put my, my stuff down. And I was like, I, I'm going to pay attention to this guy because he's, He's on to something here. So I, I listened because he had a cool mustache at the time. <laughs> yeah. That's really why I dialed into it. But yeah. go ahead, Nick. So mustache? He looks like he could have been a roof. Like that's, <laughs> that's, right. that's exactly <laughs> where Jeremy was. <laughs> so one of the 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 things that, that kind of brought me to that road was so much of how my class is set up now and, and my teaching style comes from things that I've adapted from other instructors. So anybody who sat through one of Aaron's fields program, uh, Aaron Fields program knows that, you know, he always says words matter. Words matter. So yep. we, we, in the fire service and in life in general, we tend to use words very casually and sometimes without even realizing what the true meaning is and why certain words are associated with certain topics. So in public safety, the military, the word tactical gets thrown around all over the place. And it's, you know, you look at, the brand 511 and everything right. is tactical. Yep. I mean, the briefcase that's under, sitting underneath briefcase. me is a tactical briefcase. Tactical right. khakis, tactical button-up shirt. I mean, everything shirt. is tactical because it sounds sexy yeah. and it, it sounds whatever you want to call it. Uh, Dip in Velcro. Right, right. So it's, yeah, strap some molly on it, paint it black, and it's... it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely bam, right. you can double the price and we're, we're going we're gonna to sell, sell them by the truckload. So when I started researching about ventilation, I saw the word tactical associated with it. So I'm like, all right, let's look up what tactical actually means. And if you look it up, the, the three main definitions that pop up are temporary advantage, which if you look at ventilation, we always stress that it's coordinated. So yes, there's an inherent benefit that comes with ventilation, but it's temporary. If you do nothing else but ventilate, that whatever benefit that you gain is going to be very fleeting. That's right. So that's, it's a temporary advantage. Then the next one is, is it supports an objective. That's the whole point of ventilation. Of we're course. either supporting fire attack or we're supporting search yeah, or victim survival. It's not the main stage. No, no. It, it's a support right. function. That's right. All right. And then the last one was it, it's to achieve a goal, which the goal for us is the mission. And the mission is preserving life and property. And that's what it's all about. So if you look at those three primary definitions of the word, it, resonates very clearly why it should be associated with ventilation. And if you look at even in like FDNY's operational doctrine, like their, their ventilation bulletin, they refer to it as tactical ventilation right. for that very reason. And they've actually gone as far as changing their, the, the semantics of they don't use vent for life and vent for fire anymore. It's vent for extinguishment and vent for search because they want to reaffirm that task oriented supportive nature of vent. So it's, you're not venting for the fire, you're venting to support extinguishment or right. you're venting to support the search. <clears throat> so it's, they really want to, to put that emphasis on that ventilation is a support function. It's not its own independent thing. So that's where that kind of came from and allowed me to dial that in and explain the basis of that. So it's not just some word that's thrown in for, to, you know, sell seats and. No, I get it. And, and listen, like I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I've been holding off on bringing this up and I just want to bring, just step back one or two steps, right? You initially were talking about being in college and you went off to the fire, you know, all you wanted to do was get into the fire academy and so on. And what I love is that you found your passion. You knew where you wanted to go. You got to the firehouse, you got hired at a young age, and then you finish your career or you finish your education and then you take your education another step further. And then you sit there and you have that epiphany moment where, you know, it dawns on you that, you know, uh, Chief Healy, I think you said it was, mm -hmm. right? 
where the where it went off and you said, man, there's more to this, right? Everything that's happening on the job is starting to make sense about what didn't go right that job or why it worked so well on this fire, right? So you start to have all these moments. And I, I'm sitting here and I, I then I underline, you know, the journal. I'm going to get to the journal in a minute, but words matter, right? And then what I what I consistently think of when I every time I talk to you and tonight just absolutely reinforces it is how methodical you are. No, I mean that in a, in a million ways. Like when you first talked about college and you were like, ah, it's not really wasn't my thing. I wanted to get in the firehouse. I'm thinking of a kid that like wanted to go off to college and just party, have fun and like, you know, enjoy life. And like, I'm very much that way too, right? But then I find an avenue that I love. This guy's just shaking her head. Right <laughs> then I find, then I you find that, that avenue. <laughs> I find that avenue that just is a true passion and love of mine. And then I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing to do the reading and the writing. And, and so I'm sitting here listening to you and I, I can, I resonate with that. I get it because, you know, you found, you found your calling, you found your niche. And, and now what you're bringing to the table is, you know, your, your authenticity and your methodical behavior of learning, understanding, digesting, bringing it down and then educating us. I love that, man. Like I really, like, I don't, I, I just, I'm sitting here listening to all this and I just think it's a fantastic buildup. It really is. It is. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that you, on the national stage now and you have the ability, I mean, it is the, you know, I don't know what, the Super Bowl of teaching, if you will, right? You make it there. I mean, yeah. it's the big You're time. in with the gods. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a great, it's really a great institution because it allows for, you know, the one thing fire engineering does very well with FDIC is it's, it's typically the best of the best, if you will right? They're vetted, right? So the people that are instructing there, their content is solid, their content is tried and true. You know, the, the, the methodology behind all of it makes sense. And, you know, they're established. And I, I kudos to you, man. I mean, that's fantastic. And I, and it's a, and it's something you love. And that's, that's the best part about it, man. That's the best part about it. So awesome. So where are we going? So you're going to be you're going to be in FDIC, right? Yep. So the class is called let me get it right. It's venting tactically the ins and outs of opening up. Correct. And so that's the that's the class that we saw last year up in uh, up in Maine at the New England Fools. And then um, you know I was really enamored by it. And and I remember at the end of it, um, you know, I came up to you and I remember introducing myself to you and I just said, Hey, man, you know, I never sat through a ventilation class before. Mm -hmm. You know, never. Like when you go, I mean, on the other end of my journal here, I have like breaking glass, windows, underlined. You know, like. What do you do with the new kid on the truck? Go break glass, right? <laughs> like go open up, you know? And and it's like, there's, I, I just think that it's- Can't use for, golf balls anymore. I mean, windows are too good. I've, no, I, well, <laughs> that's a whole nother story. But, you know, ultimately like, you know, this is, this is now something where I think, you know, getting your message out there, it starts to, it slows everybody down just a second, you know? Um, where maybe ventilation is that support function of the greater good, if you will, um, or the, the greater uh, picture. Um, it still needs to be discussed and discussed because it is a coordinated event that really needs to be trained on, talked about. And it's probably not for your young kid on the fire ground, which typically no. we assign to going around as the outside vent, you know, OV, go break some glass and so on. And, you know, and then find your way to the rear ladder to rear, get up to the roof, help the driver, help whoever open up. Like yeah. these are all things that like aren't really discussed, I think as, as far as they should be. No. And uh, yeah, I'm gl glad you touched on that is because the people that ride in the ladder company or perform your, 
you know, truck functions, if you will, whether you have a ladder company or not. I just taught out in Missouri and they don't have ladder companies out there. I mean, with the exception of KC and St. Louis and the immediate metro area that may have, a, you know, a, a Quinn, it's, they, it's all very engine company driven. You know, once you get outside of the, the, the metro city areas, it's, it gets very rural very fast. Yeah. So I, I well, that was one of the comments in the evals was, we don't have truck companies. They're like, stop saying <laughs> truck company. Yeah, so of course. So whoever's performing those support functions, especially if it's the roof of the, the outside vent position, you have to remember that the individuals that are doing that are typically working autonomously. They're, they're either by themselves or it's with another private. Absolutely. They're, yes. they're independent yeah. from an officer, yep. especially on the paid jobs. So you need to be dialed in because the, whoever the senior firefighter is in that position, or if, if you're working alone, you need to be, be able to make decisions that are going to impact the entire fire ground. Because we all know that a ventilation in the wrong place at the wrong time could impact, can negatively impact the entire fire ground yeah. itself. Absolutely. So you need to have somebody that understands building construction, that understands fire behavior, that is able to be have the wherewithal and the situational awareness to be able to monitor the radio traffic, to understand where guys are operating, what their progress is, what they're experiencing for conditions, to know when, where, and how to ventilate to have the the, the effect that they're they've set out to have to support those other operations. So oh, I agree. you need to be squared away that, you know, you should have at least a couple of years on the engine to get your sea legs and, and yep. figure things out. And there's something to be said too, of being on the receiving end of that ventilation before oh. you actually go and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, because after I got promoted, I went back to the engine company. And to be honest with you, that has allowed me to, to so I went from the ladder company as a private where I was either on the inside, you know, doing the searches or, you know, be, being in the outside, doing the ventilation to the one going back on the inside of the engine and being on the receiving end of the ventilation. So to be honest with you, who better to, to, to give you insight onto what, how best to coordinate ventilation than the one that's actually receiving it. That's right. Okay. Because yeah, that's great. You can tell me all you, uh, all you want, how to break glass and, and cut rubes and you, you may be an expert in, in that technique, but until you've been on the receiving end of that ventilation and you know what it feels like when it comes too late or, you know, or it comes too early or when it's that Goldilocks and it's just right, then you really have that, that, that full understanding of what it, what it actually means. That's, so it's given me a more well-rounded appreciation for the tactic and be able to, to understand it that much more and really take the class to the next level. Uh, because essentially now as the engine company officer, you know, I'm at that tip of the spear now when I'm usually the one that's either calling or confirming that ventilation from that outside vent or roof fire, uh, firefighter. Right. So that's, you know, when it comes to coordination, which is really yeah. the linchpin for ventilation, that's where it comes down. That's what it comes down yeah, it's to. It's that whole coordination thing that right. people don't quite get. They'll go up and cut the roof, but, you know, is it the right time yet? Did you talk right. to them? Well, I, I mean, I just wrote down, right? So this journal thing for me is kind of new. Mm-hmm. And there was a, there's uh I was alluding to it earlier and we'll talk about it, but, but what I just wrote down was correct ventilation is impactful, right? There's so many times ventilations perform, but it does not impact the fire ground, right? It's not impacting our, our, um, you know, our push or the ability to get deeper or farther or to get to the seat. Right. And so, you know, there's a lot of times buildings are getting opened up, but they're not being opened up timing. Okay. Like, you know, I can get over a, 
you know, glass being taken a little too early or a little too late or a roof being pulled a little too early, a little too late, but the functions has to get done. But there's a lot of times that functions being done, but it's not impactful because it's way too early or it's way too late and it's not helping the job at hand, right? Yeah, there's a lot of communications that people don't quite get Huge. with that. Huge communication aspect. And a lot of it is is done passively too, or where I kind of alluded to earlier, where it's being able to to listen to that radio traffic and understand how the, the incident is progressing. You know, are they are they have they located the seat of the fire? Are they in position? Are they flowing water? Are they making headway? Yep. You know, those are all the things that you need to uh, to, to understand. And going back to you know, teaching up in Maine, and I had the the pleasure of teaching after Steve Robertson. And Steve is a trip. I mean, I, I had I loved being a student and sitting through his class. Super smart and knowledgeable. Such a and, gr great dude. And to the point. But, but I mean, yeah. really quality uh, quality instructor mm -hmm. is that perfect balance of of that that street cred and that experience. But he's able to. But he's an effective instructor too. Right. He's able to translate his street experience in a way that that resonates with you and sticks with you because th that's what the thing that people have to realize too is you you may have all the street cred in the world but it doesn't make you a good instructor. I mean, you could work in West Baltimore and see more fire than anybody else in the country, but if you don't have those communication skills to be able to pass along all that knowledge and experience that's that right. you have, you're well you're essentially no good to anybody. Yeah. You know, and again, that's not not knocking those guys by any means, but I'm just I'm, you know kind of making the point of you know, there's, there's like, there's like, there's, like there's, there's another half to it. A good player and a good coach. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you look at how many, how many guys that, you know, you could be a, a hall, hall of famer and you could be a lousy coach. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it doesn't mean, again, you may know the game and you may, may know the ins and outs, but unless you can communicate that effectively, that's what, what makes a good instructor. Sure. And Steve's got a, a really good balance of that. But going, get, getting back to the point was, yeah. um, when I was teaching, I loved it because, and again, it, this is that, that humility to, to remember that you're always a student. So Steve would just interject at random intervals when, when something would, would, Walk, would, he was walking in the room. He was pacing. He was like, <laughs> cause you know, he's, he's thinking from <laughs> yes. the engine company yep. perspective right. and you know, he's, you know, thinking of, okay, how does this relate to what I just taught and what I'm teaching? And you know, you could see the wheels were turning in the whole time. And now for me, this is kind of a, um, uh, a moment of truth for me because now I kind of regard Steve as, as one of those, those seasoned, he's one of those top tier instructors. Yep. He's from a very busy urban department. He's in a very ghetto district and he's a, a world-class instructor. So he, now he's in the room and now he is a, a front row observing me. So I got to, this is the true test. A game. So he starts interjecting and now at first I'm like, oh man, is he, is he going to blow this all apart? I mean, what's how, like, where's he going with this? <laughs> and he starts going and now he's dovetailing his perspective from the engine company and the things that he just spoke about in his lecture into what I'm talking right. about. And I learned just as much as, as any student, if not more from, uh, from that were sitting in that lecture. People got a two for one. It was amazing. I mean, even yeah. Aaron Heller afterwards was like, man, I got to get you, I got to get you two together at, at some point. He goes, that would make for, for a good conference. And I had a blast. And, you know, afterwards, you know, I got, you, know, you talk about those, those things in, in your career and in your life where, where they, uh, sometimes it's the smallest gestures that mean the world to you and, and at the bar afterwards. Cause we, we had a great time at, at night after the conference and yes, uh, we did 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Was I there for that? Yeah, you know, our friend from Massachusetts. <laughs> he doesn't remember. So, oh, yeah. We had a blast, man. We had, we had, a, a, we had a blast. We had a good time. And after, you know, at, at like right, right as the night was winding down and everyone's starting to go their separate ways, you know, Steve kind of, you know, just kind of put his put his arm on my shoulder and just kind of gave me one of those attaboys. And it was like, Says to so. me, that meant yeah. more to me Everything. than, you know, that that was for, that was tops. Like for me, that as an instructor, that was one of those moments that that uh, that I'll always remember. So that for, and and for me to be a part of that, right? I mean, just being in the crowd and listening and watching and you know and so on. I mean, this is this is why these smaller conferences are so good, right? You got a room of thirty people, right? Yeah, 30, 40 people tops that were exposed to, you know top tier lectures from, you know, the, the top tier instructors in the country that teach all over the country. And then to be able to listen to those stories come together, those, those classes come together. You don't get that at the big conference. You don't get that in, in all those, you know, 200 class, you know, 200 person yep. lectures. I mean, this is, this is the small stuff. And that's why we love these local conferences because when you can get some of the talent in there, I mean, it's it's just what an experience to be able to sit there and and absorb it and take it all in. It's incredible, and that's the beauty of the Fools organization too. Yeah, is agreed. Everybody in the audience is there for the right reasons. Yep. You know, there's there's nobody in the Fools that's the, that's just there for the certificate. Yep. You know, it's it's not even close. Yeah. Nobody drove up to Maine. No. To go drink. Like, no. I mean, they might have drank, but like it wasn't the whole purpose of hey, we're gonna right. go to this place and drink. The you know, like no, like it was everyone was dialed yeah. into learning. Yeah, everyone's intentions are 100% pure. They're there for the right reasons. Yeah. It's it's all you know. It's also for the fraternity and the brotherhood and and all those things that that you know, we talk about and you know and stress. But it's also for the education piece too, because that's really what the you know kind of the fools was founded on was was yep. bringing bringing education to areas that wouldn't otherwise be be able to to have that. You know, and that's that that's the the, the beauty part of that organization, and to see that it's if anything gro growing by the day. Is, is a beautiful thing. Oh, I agree. I mean, it, it's all adding to the betterment of the fire service and what we do. And when you get guys that are dialed in and you surround yourself with those people, um, you know, and we've learned over the last two years with National Fire Radio is you surround, your, you surround yourself with people you want to be with. Surround yourself with like-minded people and great things are going to happen yeah. every single time. So I agree with that 100%. So what's next for Nick Papa, man? I mean, you know, career's going well. Yeah. Uh, you got FDIC coming up in April. Um, you got some other projects in the works from yeah. what we were talking writing about. Writing a book yet? Which is so, exciting. Well, so a little, I'll give a little teaser. There, I just I'm putting the finishing touches on a manuscript for a book. Nice. It's it's literally the class in written form, and you know I wasn't in the service myself, but. Um, a lot of my reading is is a lot of is military based because right. there's so much to learn, you know, for, through leadership and it, it, I just want to know about the sacrifices that that our service men and women have it's made amazing. throughout the years to to allow our country to be what it is, uh, and in my reading and you know some of the classes I've taken like, through leadership under fire, uh, Jason Bresler's organization, right. it was. Um, he just got promoted off a of rescue too. runs a, f a phenomenal organization called leadership under fire. And one of the, the main books that's on their reading list is the, the Marine Corps doctrinal um, publication. It's the, the manual on tactics and then their warfighting manual. And it's a, it's a short, a short, easy read. And it doesn't matter if you're in the military or not, you know, at, if fire service, law enforcement, there's so many parallels in there, especially when it comes to, 
you know, the, the command and control of the fire ground. There's so many lessons that can be learned out of that. So when I was reading, uh, after I read through those, those two pieces, I loved how it was set up. It was a very short read. You know, it wasn't this big document, this textbook or, or you know, the, this giant SOP that, that nobody ever actually reads. Right. It was a functional working document. And it, it even says in there from the first version of the warfighting ma manual that was written, it even says in there, this is not designed to be a reference manual. It is designed to be read from cover to cover. You know, the, the commandant of the Marine Corps that wrote that document in its first publication wanted his Marines to read that from cover to cover and be familiar with their doctrine, their operational doctrine. So that's when and we, you know, we spoke about this, uh, you know, sure. off camera was yeah. this is what the fire service needs because when you look at the, the textbooks that are out there for the fire service and they're that they're textbooks, they serve a purpose. They're either designed to be used as certification classes, college courses, or promotional exams. They serve a very distinct purpose. But when I was speaking to a, another author, another you know, guy that's on the circuit, he had said that he goes, he goes, I'll be the first one to admit that nobody's going out and on and hopping on Amazon and buying my 600 page, you know, uh, book to just as a leisurely read to, to help them in the fire service. I mean, yeah, you might get that that occasional outlier, but it's nobody's picking up those, those giant textbooks right. to just sit and read to as, as a personal betterment. So what I wanted to do was I mirrored my book manuscript to follow along suit with that, those Marine Corps uh, doctrines so that they were short, easy reads that you could take it in, in sections and read a couple pages, pages here and there, whether it was, you know, in the Oval Office or, you know, whether you, know, you were in the you know, day room or the kitchen table, the firehouse. Where your attention is. Exactly. Yeah. In that way that, and it, I wanted it to be 100% functional because we can all recall whether it's studying for promotional exam, the, the books that we've had to read for the courses that we've had to take. So much of these books are just, they're repeating themselves over and over again. Filler. They get it's, a little bored. They need the filler. Or yeah, because they, they got to hit that word count right. or yep. they, the yeah. amount of chapters or the page numbers. So it's basically, they're just rephrasing what they've already said just in a different way. Or maybe it's, it's more war stories that, you know, the stories are important and that's what's so, so, so beautiful about our culture and why it's so important. And, you know, one of the things that I know you guys try to preserve with your, with your platform is the stories, right. but they have to be functional. You're the stories that you tell have to, to prove a point. Okay. So, and, and I make sure that the stories that I have in, in the manuscript and uh, the same stories that I, that I provide in the lecture are shortened to the point and you can very easily make that connection of the story and what happened to the concepts that I just spoke about. Yeah, that's cool. I think about when you said about taking the door off and how you remembered that somebody once said like, Hey, remove the door yeah. and use it. If you have to, it might not be the door that fits the frame, but the, like the closet door will work to right. buy you some time. And that's what you did. And I, I just, like I said, I, I, I remember that I'm sitting there going like, yeah, you know what? I've, I've passed a lot of closet doors and I've, but I've never passed a door that actually fits the frame. And that's like, all right, cool. It's going in the memory bank. Yeah. So, so that's, know. so that, uh, what, what you're talking about, Rob, was one of the lessons that were, that were learned the hard way was, you know, we had a fire in a, in a you know, one and a half story bungalow wood frame. We were the third due engine company. You know, first two got there. It was the small rear porch, made a quick knock on it as we're walking up. I mean, you see the, the white smoke coming up over the, the roof line and you're thinking to yourself, ah, it's, it's all done. You know, we, we, we missed, we missed everything. 
So we roll up at the same time as the ladder, you know, we go in and now we're charged with, you know, search of the two floors and checking for extension. First floor is completely clean and we go up to two and there's two bedrooms and a bathroom up there. So we go up to the rear bedroom, which is right above where the porch was. And there's just a light haze hanging about just overhead height. I mean, it's just lazy. It's hanging there. Light smoke. And you're like, ah, it's just residual. Probably went through the stud channels and now it's collecting up in the top floor. No big deal. So I'm scanning with the thermal imaging camera and I pick up a little heat signature to the left of the window, which is again, directly above where the porch was. And I get like 125, 130. "Ah, It's probably just heat that traveled up the stud channel. There's no paint blistering. There's no... Nothing else that's jumping out at me. Luckily, the one of my buddies, or my classmates, was uh, was in the iron seat and was got right up on the, the window, and he happened to catch a wisp of smoke coming out of the the corner of the window frame, and it was pissing out of the, the corner under pressure. So he brings it to the attention of his officer, and now again we're we're in search and investigation mode, so neither one of us have a line. No with line us. in place. Yeah. So he mm-hmm. opens up a very disciplined, you know, softball sized inspection hole. Nothing crazy. Flame instantly appears in the, the inspection hall. So I get on the radio, you know, engine one to command chief. We got fire in the walls. We need to line up the two. Yeah, received on the way. So now the one of the other engines starts bringing the line up. And now all of a sudden that little flame that just appeared in the in the, the hole now starts blowtorching out under mm-hmm. pressure Yeah, with authority. Yep. So now... <laughs> I get, and now it's running up the, 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 running up the wall and now it's running across the ceiling. So as the smoke is starting to bank down and it's literally like we're, we're inside one of those UL burn chambers yeah, where right. you get to, where they show yeah, the progression right. of flash Starts over. in a corner, rolls up, comes across. So let's say I get back on the radio and I call for that line with a little bit more vigor this time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now this, the, that, that thermal balance is starting to drop down to my shoulders and I go, everybody out of the room. So luckily, the I had a, the senior man on the ladder was working overtime with me that day, and we, we like guys joke and call this guy Santa Claus because he's been on more roofs than Santa Claus, <laughs> and he that. he hates it because he's yeah. such a humble dude. Right, right And right. this guy Tony Parada, who's just the most humble guy, he's the senior man on the ladder company out of my house, tremendous amount of experience, and just the most humble, easygoing. You know, good dude that you, you know, he is that epitome of the the senior man that you want. Mm -hmm. So he was so heads up and was running around shutting, shutting the windows that were open because it was in the summer. It was June. So he's, or it was June or August. So he slammed the windows shut to, you know, try and prevent the, you know, any more air from getting in. So he's running around and now, you know, there's still, there's no line yet. So I tell everyone, all right, time to get out of the room. So my driver's anchored at the door and I tell him, all right, bro, I'm the last one out, you know, close the door behind us. And I hear, um, uh, bro, there's no door. You gotta be shitting me. And now that now the smoke is is like halfway to the floor at this right. point. So I uh, and going back to the stories and when you look at how our brains work, it, if the stories are told well enough with enough imagery and enough detail, our brain might, may actually store that as its own memory. So I remembered a story from one of our senior lieutenants about telling about how he how he jacked a door off of a neighboring room to to confine the fire and buy them some time while the line was being stretched because they had searched ahead. Uh, He was the rescue officer until they closed the rescue company. So 
thank God I was able to retrieve that slide from the, the Rolodex, yep, yep. Uh, you know, at, at the right moment. And as I'm scanning the room, I caught the, um, the closet door and I said, bro, I'm like, get over here. I'm like, let's, we need to get the door off. It's hinges. We popped the door off with the Halligan bar. And now of course it's a closet door. Okay. So closet doors are typically more narrow right. and they can be <clears throat> louvered. So now it's not ideal, but it's what we have. So now I'm sitting there, the guys are stacked up behind me. It's a tiny little bungalow. So it's a little hallway landing. So I'm, I'm <laughs> literally, I'm yeah. literally like just hunkered down, holding the door and watching the thermal balance just continue to drop down. And again, my, the senior man being so heads up, he flew down the stairs, intercepted the line from the, the other engine company, passed it up the stairs because he knew the last thing we needed was more bodies oh, up there. So he passes the line up. It goes into the hands of actually the, the irons firefighter on the ladder. Cause he was right next to me. He hops on the, on the nozzle. I get behind him. We boogie in and it was like that, but that line appeared in just the nick of time because that again, like, like being in one of those UL videos, we yep. were, we were starting to watch the thermal balance start to bob. Wow. Yeah. Right. It was starting to do that, that wave. And I'm like, Oh man, we're, we're, we're going to lose this whole second floor just because of a stupid inspection hole. Well, what I liked about it was that like, so recently I ran a mutual aid fire up to Hyde park. And when I got up to the second floor, I'm noticing it was all hollow core doors that were kind of half, half open. So like, they're all like, I'm feeling them and I'm taking them off their hinges, but they're all halfway burned out. And when I went to, I moved to the left of the fire room cause the guys were near the line. And I like the first thing I noticed is like, all right, there's a mattress over here. I can grab that and block it off if I have to. And I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Like, where did like, you know, like if something goes wrong and I'm like thinking to myself and I, and I like it just pop, closet door. So like it's just great to kind of bring that around because like your cool. your your class and what and that that experience that like it got like what you said about having it pop into the Rolodex it was popping around I'm like all right and I literally pulled the mattress off and someone's like oh wow you were doing a real aggressive search in that room and I'm like yes but like really in reality I mean I was searching a room but I was also like pulling that mattress and kind of staging it so that if we if something God forbid something it. went down like I had that to right. to put up you know and nothing happened, but still it's cause it, you know, again, as time goes on in, in fi you know, fire duty dwindles for, for, for most of us, we need to rely on this, the storytelling. And when I can't impress it upon guys enough that on our job, when, when there's a fire, you better be picking the brains of those guys that were there to, to yeah. figure out, you know, what they had for conditions, what they did, you know, what worked, what didn't work. If there was anything unusual that happened because you're 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 getting that that third that that second hand experience right. you know you're living vicariously through them. that's right we tell a story in my house yep. all the time it's very similar to yours chimney fire was a split level so we went in i i took the floor above the line went down so they went down to the first level down f like five steps to the left to the chimney it was involved in the walls had to open up i'm on the second floor behind the hutch in the dining area you could see a flicker so I knew there was fire in the wall running to the second floor and probably upward. So we go around. So I got this kid with me. He's like 6'7", like 340, massive kid. And I'm not, like, not fat, like big, like wrestler big. Shake his hand. It's like shaking a bunch of bananas, right? He's a, he's a monster, right? So I go, help me move the hutch. So we pull the hutch aside, right? And I remember the, the fire was running the tape on the, on the spack, on the wall. And so he goes, he starts to open it up. He takes two swings, and I like I had to grab him, and I'm like, "Stop!" I'm like, "We don't have a line. They're downstairs. There's not a second line anywhere near coming up here." 
And uh, and we sat there and we watched this fire progress until we get a second li- a line. Or I think we got a can at the time. Can came in and knocked it down at least for us. Do we can get it? But the storytelling after the fact was, listen, inexperience. Don't open up until we have a line in place. You start to open up, things go bad. We don't have a line in place. We're in trouble. Right. Yeah. Do you yeah. do you find because um, one of the things that we like, and I'm I'm very blessed with where I work. In this one aspect is that like our our chief has a very good program with the helmet cameras and he lets us run them and his his rules are very simple i better not see it on the internet without my express permission so like in-house we're able to say like hey this is the fire we ran last week do you find that like that helmet camera footage is is helpful in the in the teaching aspect to kind of i know san bernardino does a lot with it like san bernardino is excellent yeah, Stock, very, stockton's yeah. another Stockton, great Stockton, one yep. they've got tremendous footage i mean it, it's they're amazing and the coordination is there and they do a lot of work <laughs> they do and, a lot and of they work. do it yeah. well yeah. too yeah. right I mean, yeah absolutely yeah, the, the the west coast has a thing for for especially sure opening up topside i mean they, they i met they a bunch of guys in, in uh, vallejo i was out there last year and Vallejo is a tough city, and yeah. they go. They do a lot of work mm-hmm. with minimum staffing. And those guys, it's it's a it's a East Coast mentality of like two bottles before you even think of getting a bottle of water. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That type of thing. Badass man, badass. Yeah. But it's good. I mean, I think that's important. I mean, what you were talking about, Nick, the storytelling. Storytelling is part of training, right? Experiences yeah. because we're these guys aren't all of us. No, nobody's running to fires every day anymore, and so. We have to kind of live vicariously through some of the stories of the more senior guys that have a story to tell. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as I've kind of expanded my reading and one of the other books that I would tremendously uh, recommend to to anybody listening is uh, Colonel Dave Grossman's On Combat. Yeah. And it will give you such a better insight as to how the, the how the body and the brain functions under stress. 100%. You know, why that we... Uh, this is one of Chris Chris Brennan's uh, terms that uh, Rick George talks about all the time. But the training scars, yeah. you know, why you know we have certain training scars and why people will, you know, do things that seem so counterintuitive on the on the fire ground or in whatever particular profession that you're in under stress. Because if you go back to the way that we were trained, it it, it it's very clear why that behavior took sure. place. Well, it programs you. It yes. absolutely does. Yeah. So the one of the examples that he gives in the book was. He talked about, I believe it was the the FBI in their uh, their firearms training. This was you know back you know decades ago. So when they would discharge their weapon, they would have they had very strict range policies to keep it clean, and they'd have to immediately get down and clean up their brass. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yep. So yeah, you caught me on this one. So after they so after mm-hmm. they they got they discharged their weapon, they hit their target, they got down and immediately started cleaning up their brass, or else they'd get screamed at by the instructors. So lo and behold. As these guys are hitting the street, some of them are getting involved in, in active gunfights. And after their weapon gets spent, they're bending down and picking up their brass in an active gunfight. And some of these guys got hit. So after they they kind of put the pieces together, they're like, whoa, you know, we got to go to back to the drawing board and we need to make sure that we restructure our, our training methodologies and and making sure that we're very cognizant of of these habits that we're, we're ingraining right. in them, whether they're, you know, they're purposeful or not. You know, so that um, that was one of the stories that he gives. And that's you know, if you take that and translate it to the fireground, this is what I, I know Brothers in Battle and Cody Trestrell's group is big on this. But if you look at our search training, 
what happens after you find the victim after you do a search? You dump it out on the, the uh, yeah, on, right. yeah. on uh, you dump it out on the high cement, five right? everybody, and you either go back in to finish your search right. or yep. the evolution's over yep. and you go and take a blow, and that mannequin's just sitting there. Right. right. So what happens when you actually you never find, do the pass off? Right. So there's no transfer of care yep. to the EMS or to another crew. Right. So yeah, if you're going to go back in to finish your search, you better be handing them off to another provider. And if there's no provider, well, guess ta- you are, tag you you're are. it. Yeah, right. Because exactly. you can't leave that victim, especially if they're unconscious, to go in and potentially find another victim that may not be there. And now you've left this this victim who is in need of sure. immediate care with sure. no care. Right. So again, going back to that bird in the hand versus you know is worth two in the bush. It's that whole. It's that same mentality. So we have to be very mindful in the habits that we're, we're breeding on the drill ground mm-hmm. and make sure that, that we're in one of the stories that, that Aaron tells it because he's got a very big Aaron Fields. He, talk, he talks about his, his um, wrestling and Sambo background. And when he who had trained with the Mongolian national team, he had gotten off, gotten up off the mat a certain way when he first got there. And the, the, this old crusty coach was like, no, no, don't, don't get up that way. And he was like, what do you mean? He goes, we don't move that way on the mat. He was just, so everything was, even from getting up off the mat, even if it wasn't in, in, in a match, had to be functional. Because right. if you didn't do the technical stand-up or, right. or move the way that you would move on the mat, he didn't want you doing it at all. Because if you were doing it just subconsciously any time, you would potentially make that same mistake on the mat. It's the same thing because when you're under duress and you know the the stress wreaks havoc on the body, you kind of resort back to that primitive mindset, Comfort, right? What yeah. you know, and it's what it's right. what's ingrained and yeah, tattooed right. in your brain. I, I did a drill as a company officer. Uh, this is almost a year ago, I think, where I did a, like like a rapid intervention thing where they went downstairs, they got a guy, brought him upstairs, and everyone's like, "All right, awesome, we did it." And I was like, "All right, now the drill started," and I, I forget where I got the idea from, um, and I just pointed to the one guy that was there, and I was like, "You're now dead." He's like, what? I was like, lay down. And he was still in his gear. And I'm like, he just went into cardi- sudden cardiac arrest. Like, figure it out and do it. And the guy's like, and thankfully I had one of the EMS officers there. They staged a CPR mannequin on the cot in the, in the second ambulance. So I had him actually load him on the in the first ambulance stretcher. But then they went and transitioned into the ambulance next to it and started doing CPR. And, like, I was screaming things like, hey, somebody call Mike's wife and let her know to come to the hospital. Like, just to kind of get him going but like one of the guys almost drove the ambulance out with the doors open on the side because he was so tuned into like yeah. well like we, I we, think it's all we captured that realism but like right. that's well, it's you, also you radio to, transmissions you know you if you have a guy that's panicking on the radio you know all of a sudden everybody starts panicking if you're calm even if the shit is hitting the fan yeah. everybody else stays calm and they get their job done but you got to get them there first you got reality reality is important right and and yeah. we you know I think uh, we do a good job, you know, uh, there's a lot of great training groups, you've mentioned a couple tonight, um, that do a fantastic job in bringing reality to the fireground, but, or to the, to the firehouse for training, but, you know, a lot of it comes down to the company training. Absolutely. Right, because that's 99% of it. And complacency is huge. Um, I know it happens in my firehouse, and I'm as guilty as anyone in our firehouse for complacency. You know, I mean, it just, it happens, right? It, it just absolutely happens. Uh, went to a fire the other night, so everybody's fired up again, you know? And, and you know, everything went, uh, we had a, one or two hiccups with, um, you know, a kid hooking up and so on. But other than that, like everything went well, but 
afterwards, we took that opportunity um, where it was a mutual aid run for us. So the threads were different on the hydrant, but we carry the different threads and they're colored mm-hmm. differently, but they didn't take all the correct ones to the hydrant because they didn't know what they needed. So there was a delay in getting a supply line set up. No problem. I mean, tank water took care of you know the initial supply until we got the line stretched. But but the issue was after the fact when we were picking up, we actually all took a knee at the hydrant and went over it. Right? It yeah, was a that, great that's where that critique comes in, which you we have to all do. And it wasn't punitive. It. No, yep. no, not at all. Because I, know, I, right. because I was listen yeah. twenty four years in a firehouse, and I said, guys, let's take a knee. I want to refresh my own memory on on doing how often do we hook up on a, an adjoining town's hydrant? Not every day. Yeah. So let's take an extra second and talk about it, right? Like, let's talk about the connection, how we make the connection. Are we using hydrant assist? Are we not? Like, all these different things. So, you know, it was a good lesson. But where I'm going with this is reality. It comes down to the company level. It comes down to um, the ability to have realistic training and to seek it. Um, You know, I, I always constantly think of, like, the door prop. And we have kids that are fantastic at popping a metal door. I mean, these kids... They line up on this thing, and they can they can pop those two wood shocks and the and the you know the uh, what you call it the shims no yeah. problem right they can pop that in thirty seconds throw a real door at them right throw a real door at them it's it's different right or throw a, put it up against the wall and take yeah. the full freedom of maneuver yeah right away. yeah you don't have the ability to go one eighty on the door yeah. right so put yourself in a cramped yeah. narrow position and then take that door right so it's it's just finding those extra things and. We always talk in training about like, oh, just back to the basics. We need to be good at the basics. Basics are great, but there's also a level of expectancy in the firehouse that you should really be honed in on the basics, right? I mean, it's good to get back to it every once in a while, but you should also know the basics, right? You're a firefighter, you're on the line. Back to the basics is great, but back to the basics should be every three months, we talk about the basics to be sure that you know, everybody is just compliant with rules, regulations, SOGs. It's like reseasoning yeah. a cast iron but, pan. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, gee, do we have to... Wow, we're getting start, into the cooking class again. we got to quote that one. That yeah. Get awfully That's deep there. Like that some, some, Can you claim that? Or do you steal yeah. that somewhere? I'm going I'm to claim gonna that. Yeah, write that baby down. Anyway, Nick, for, I mean, I, for, I agree with you, bro. I think Rob's got to do the George Costanza. I'm out! He's got his one line and he's done. That's it. But that's fantastic, man. I mean, it, tonight's been fantastic. We're, we're going on and on, and I love it. Um, we could talk and, for hours. And yeah. we're, I'm just really happy for you, man. It seems like things are going in, in the right direction for you, and I think it's all because of all your hard work and, you know, everything that you've put in on the back end to, uh, to better your position and to better all of us. I mean, you know, we brought you in. We had you well, were uh, – Go ahead. And, and yeah. that you don't, you don't accept just enough. Like, good enough isn't good enough for you. Like – that's what I, you know, I, I, I've sat in the class and we've met before. You did the on tap event with us. Yeah, I want to talk about and, that. Go ahead. And define everything else. But like the fact that like tonight you told me the story behind like, you know, this kind of like, I don't want to call it a crapshoot, but like you were like, I don't like, I'm going to call the bluff and I'm going to get, mm-hmm. and I'm going to write an article and now I'm going to teach. And when you had that moment and it's like, hey, like you didn't just sit back on your laurels and go, yeah, I've arrived. Like you were like, okay, there's a responsibility here to make sure I'm delivering the best product I can feasibly deliver. And you went and took those extra steps to get there. And it shows in the program that we've, we've had you do and what we sat through. So um, I just think that's awesome. You yeah. know, cause I, I, and it, like, there's a lot of people out there who say, no, no, we got it. It's okay. Like we, we saw it in Hutto when we were down in Texas, there are kids who are out there asking the instructors and the instructors are taking sandwiches and going outside 
during the lunch break to get extra reps in with the, these these students. It's so fantastic. Like it's, you know, same 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 line of mentality. But I, I think all that mentality just goes to why there's certain guys make it to a certain level in their career. And and I think you're very much at that position. And I think you have a long career ahead of you to, to even better and hone and, and do bigger and better. I, I really do, Nick. I, I think um, it was super great to have you here tonight and just to have the conversation um, with you. We've known each other for over a year now. And, uh, you know, you were our first um, inaugural speaker at our On Tap, which ended up being on a night of uh, what the uh, monsoon monsoon right yeah. <laughs> absurd there it was, was rain that came absurd. from the sky there was rain that we came had... straight up there was even sideways rain it was uh i don't know what the hell that was but there i mean it was locusts i mean it was, so it it was, was like, like i said you should have you should have pulled the yeah. castans around yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic yeah i or Rob, Rob's like, screw you. I'm like, I can't screw so up anymore. So, any, so anyway, right. yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say that was our first, and I'm looking at the. I actually printed off the flyer today, May 29th, 2019. Um, we'll go down to the day of uh, infamy for flooding in the tri-state area, in New York, New Jersey. But uh, we did anyway through a party that night for our, our first on tap, and and you were our first speaker. Um, and since then, we've done many others, but um, that one will always be an important one for us because it was our first one we ever did. And you put on a fantastic performance. Um, and when I say performance, I don't mean that in a, a, a sticky type of way, mm -hmm. because what you do is, you know, even tonight sitting here, and I mentioned it before when you were talking about your, uh, your probie years and uh, cadet years, if you will, and you had a smile from ear to ear. And when you teach, you get a passion behind you. Um, and that's something that really stuck with me. We saw that in Maine, and then that's why I really wanted to get you in as a lecturer for us on the On Tap series, was because you connect with the the end user. You connect with me, you know. You connect with the guys in the crowd because you're passionate about it, and I think that's important. Don't lose that passion because that I, it's infectious. It really is, and I think it's important. And I'm sure if you're doing it on the on the lecture series and out teaching and so on, it's happening in your firehouse every day. And your guys are fortunate to have you as a boss. So. Uh, it's good stuff, man. But I wish you the utmost success with everything coming forward. I mean, we've been going for like an hour and a half already. It goes quick, man. It does. It does. But we'll definitely have you back anytime. You have an open invite here. Um, and thank you. You know, thanks for trusting us with your story. You were fantastic tonight. Um, Rob yeah, Tucker, you got we'll, anything? We'll see you out in FDIC. Yeah. yeah sure. Looking forward to that. That'll be good. Oh, let's talk about this real quick. The tin. Shoot. We didn't talk about oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So... So we do customary for all of our uh, guests on the show and guys that speak for us at the ONTAP event, anybody that we do a project with, right? Like tonight, right? Um, you know, if, if this was your first time with us, you would get a tin in the mail a couple, you know, like a couple weeks later. We send you a Taylor's tin, which is uh, Taylor's a good friend of ours and supports the show as a sponsor. And so, you know, we send out his tin and, you know, your name on it, blah, blah, blah. So... <laughs> Last year, we're sitting at the Allison. Yeah. In uh, no, you know what? It was it was the making a stretch conference. Yes, wasn't it was. It? So it wasn't even a Harrisburg show. It was the no. making Kelly Kelly's conference, the making yeah. a stretch conference, right? Um, and we're uh, I was I came I went out for the day. I went to Harrisburg for the day just to see you guys have a beer at the Allison. If you don't know what the Allison hook and ladder is, you're losing. So you <laughs> truly, it's amazing. Yeah. It is right. So you in Harrisburg, beer. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, Jason Lloyd, Sharpie, uh, and the rest of the group out there, man, these guys have something that I think 
epitomizes what the fire service is truly what what it's all about. 100%. And it's infectious when you go there. Um, and if you're not aware of what the Allison Hook and Ladder is, and you watch our content, please YouTube it, Google it, check it out. Um, it is the most incredible place. It's basically a clubhouse for the best of the best where... Um, the stories are embellished and the beers go down really well, but it is a place you want to be. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the woodwork, the, oh, oh, God, yeah, the, the whole place. The the whole I mean, thing. the stained glass transom window. Have you been there I mean, before? Or was that, that was my first time oh, there too. Man. That was a, that was a ver virgin moment for me. And, too, and they there, do yeah. those haircuts there. The, they do the haircuts. Yeah. yeah. There, there's just a lot of tradition. Say, I shaved yeah. Dan McCauley's mustache. Yeah. 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 That's, right. That's fantastic. That's right. That's right. So anyway, all, so all six hairs of them. The, all, yeah, all six <laughs> hairs. That's great. So the so I get there kind of these guys had the conference all day. I went out for the day. I couldn't do the conference. Um, so I went out for the day, ended up at the Allison um, to just have a couple of beers, share some stories and some camaraderie. And then I was going to boogie home from uh, from Harrisburg to my house is just under three hours. So it was a long day, but we're, we're out in Harrisburg. I bring one of my guys with me, one of, my, one of, the, one of the guys uh, that I'm friends with, and he's on the job in uh, Patterson, New Jersey. And so, you know, tough city, good fireman. I said, you'll love this. Come with me, man. And so we go out. We get there. We don't get there until late. And uh, I end up sitting down at the bar next to Nick. On the second floor, they have this beautiful bar, and we, we sit down, and we, we're doing a beer or two. And we're talking, and go, now I don't remember the exact. You obviously have a little more uh, remembrance of of how the conversation went, but go ahead, man. Yeah. It. So, it, so this we're is tough. Yeah. This is tough. So we're we're sitting there, you know, we're shooting the shit, and the the, the whole tins came up, and I'm like, yeah, like uh, you know, what about? I, I threw a little shout out there about you know not having one. And he goes, what do you mean? And I go, well, I never got one, bro. And he's like, and he turns. White as a ghost. I'm telling you. I mean, I was mortified. the 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 level he was mortified was palpable. I mean, he, he just his jaw nearly hit the floor. I mean, it was like somebody just told him, like it's like he just watched his dog get killed. I'm I telling mean, you, it was it was, it was it to was that level, that yeah. level of wow. that emotion level. for me, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, I was like, what? I, what? And he's like, why? Well, he's like, no, it's no big deal, you know, this and that. And I'm like, no, we sent you one. I had I had to have sent you one. And he's like, uh, I, you know, he's like, I never got it. He's like, it's cool. Like, don't worry. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not cool. Like, I, that is a big thing for me. Yeah. Like, because for you to be here tonight mm -hmm. and for you to come and do our on tap and, and everybody that we, that trusts us with their story or trust us with their interaction, I want them to really understand the appreciation level we have for that. Because one, we're new at this and for us to do what we do, it takes people to believe in us to do it. And so when uh, when somebody like yourself believes in us that you're willing to sit here tonight and and tell your story, um, it means the world. And so, you know, I didn't know from the day from day one, like how to really thank people for that. It's easy to say like, hey, Nick, thanks for being here and I appreciate it. You go home. But I want a reminder of that. And so we personalize the tins. We write on the back of them and, and so on. So when he told me that he didn't get one, and this was... So the, the on tap was in May and making a stretch was what, October? October, yeah. Right? Yeah. So October, he tells me this. This is last <laughs> October. I was mortified. I really almost fell out of the bar, fell off the bar stool. And then I tried to convince him that I sent him one and it got lost. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, because I, I was like, there's no way. Yeah, there's the no way. So then I get the text. It's in the mail. So then I get the text message a couple what, weeks later. Was it was like, bro. 
I didn't send one. He's like, I'm so sorry. He goes, I'm so was, sorry. It's, it's, uh, he goes, you're in the next batch. It's coming. I was mortified. He's like, don't worry about it. And I'm like, no, man. Like I, there's, there's certain, there's a couple things like I'm, you know, this whole thing has gotten so crazy that like there's our days that I'm scattered with trying to make all the connections and, and trying to manage all of it, you know, outside of everything else in the world. Um, but the tins are like an important thing for me. Um, and so we usually run batches of like 10 at a clip mm -hmm. and then I send them out and, uh, and I can't believe that I missed yours. And so <laughs> when we were sitting up, I'm, I'm telling you when he told me that, man, I was, I almost, I, I was, I could only imagine what my face looked like. I thought you were going to puke. I was, yeah. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, I go, is it the drinks or? No, 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 no. I go, oh my God. Yeah, it was that, it was that level. So I'm like, nice. oh wow. I'm like, I struck oh, a wow. chord. Yeah. Listen, I got nothing else. I, all I have are those tins, man. That's all I got. So, you know, um, but it was, it was tough, but I, I thank you for understanding and um, dealing with my, uh, my lack of thoroughness on that one. But um, you did get it. I sure did. Okay. It's in the office. Yeah. Cool. That's nice. fantastic. It's in just, office, uh, it's a yeah. small token of um, our appreciation for you. Um, and I think, you know, let it symbolize what you do for the fire service. Um, you know, on the back of it, typically I write like keep tradition and culture alive and, you know, things like that, because I think that's super important. And um, what are you laughing at over here? On this one he wrote, sorry, I never sent it to you. In the yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, keep but, the rains coming, you know, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> Hey, but but I, I will I will say that despite the torrential downpour, we still managed to yeah. fill up the joint pretty well. Yeah. It was a good show. Let me tell you, um, you know, we're we are um very fortunate with our on taps and um we're very fortunate for the friendships that we've made and the following that we have, um, and the support that we get. Um, you know, and and so it's just it's it's I think it's because of guys like you, um, that allows us to have a following and allows us to um, have people trust in us because we get to bring on guys like you. Um, we've had a lot of guests on. I mean, Seb, how many episodes have we done now? I mean, <laughs> thank you. Uh, over 50. I mean, so we've had over 50 different guests um, in three different studios now in two years um, and so on. Plus the department visits. Plus, plus the, the yeah, yeah, sidebar yeah. All conversations. Of, all of it. I mean, all of it. All... Um, but it's, it's because of, I think, um, everybody is why this works. Um, you know, you can replace the three of us tomorrow and Sebi tomorrow. Well, not Sebi. Sebi's the smart one. Um, you can replace the three of us and put somebody else here and the platform would work and it would work well because of our guests. So thanks. I mean, thanks for trusting us. Thanks for driving two and a half hours tonight to get <laughs> yeah. here. Hopefully your ride home's not going to be that bad. Um, but I cherish this um, and we talk about it all the time. Um, these experiences, you can't, uh, you can't fake them, you know? And uh, they mean the world. And so... When you come away from the firehouse and you had a good tour or a good fire and good camaraderie, changing bottles out or a quiet night, but you have a great storytelling with a senior guy at the table. Yeah. It's the same feeling. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's just that good. So I appreciate you being here tonight. Um, sorry. I screwed up on the tin. We'll make up for that. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, thank you. Um, oh, my you're pleasure. always welcome back. Good luck at FDIC. Appreciate that. Good yeah. luck with your uh, double secret probation project that you're working on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think it's great. And I'll be the first one in line to get it. So uh, looking Appreciate forward that. to it, brother. So thank you. Guys, thanks for following, as always, National Fire Radio, man. Uh, a little sappiness towards the end there. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, a couple beers in, maybe that's why. But what are you going to do? Nick, thanks, brother. All right, my pleasure. Appreciate it. Guys, for Tucker and Robert.
and myself and Sebi, who does all the magical work behind the scenes. Thanks for checking us out. Check out the next episode. And uh, give us that five-star review. We appreciate it. Have a good night. That was great.